when i watch a film like grave of the fireflies i think one of the first questions that comes to mind is how do they or how does studio ghibli manage to build such compelling characters in such a short time because it's not your typical war film that runs for two and a half or three hours um, it's not it's not an epic film in that sense but in its 90 or so minute runtime it manages to tell such a compelling story and that aspect of it just stuck with me throughout and i kept asking myself how they were how they were able to do that you're right in 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 mentioning that it's a it's a really short film and it was really interesting that it was within the first few minutes that i got pulled in and i think the reason and i'm going to bring this up a lot over the course of um this episode but i think that the reason i was pulled in so quickly was just the nature of the characters right um that the way they were created it's it's just that within the first few minutes i was compelled to connect with them i was i could see a part of myself and my brother in them i could see my my relationship with him my brother in the relationship between seta and satsuke and that i think is really rare for a movie to pull you in within the first few minutes and want you to and and compel you to root for them to to connect with them really um and this film did it so quickly and i think more than quickly it did it so seamlessly you don't you don't begin to realize just how much you start to care for these characters and to do that in such a short span of time and to to do it so beautifully is just a testament of ghibli's genius and just the excellence of their craft and it's their um it's their entire approach right it's not like it's not a film that that compromises on any level like the level of detail that they have and the skill of their animators and just the way they um sequence their events uh i feel like it just tells it's it speaks so much more um than is immediately evident i think the entire film or i think this can be said about all films but but some of them stand out to me personally more than others and this is one of them the film itself is a larger experience than just the sum of its parts if we were to point or if we were to try to point at one part that makes the film successful we wouldn't be able to because it's everything in combination it's like you've said the characters um i'm sure we'll talk about it the animation the the dialogue um the camera work everything yeah I I don't know why every time you finish I just start with yeah. Um <laughs> it's a habit. It's it's a habit. Just a habit is is a song by um Loror. Yeah, what a song. Um yeah, but sorry, song. I was uh <laughs> um well shit, now we'll have to link the song also. Now we'll have to, <laughs> Now we'll have to link the song. Uh but anyway anyway, you're right. you're right to p- point out that there's just so much that's happening 
um, by so much that ha- that's happening, I don't mean on screen, but so much that goes into creating what is a masterpiece that goes into create something that will stay with you forever. And when I was looking the film up and re- reading up about it, um, I-, I came across um, this piece of trivia that the movie itself is based on the the short film, uh, sorry, the short story by uh, Akiyuki Nosaka, who wrote the story uh, from, you know, his experiences in the bombing, in the fire, um, the fire dropping and the fire bombing of uh, Kobe in 1945. And it's based off of his experiences during that time as well. Um, and to think that a short story, and I want, I want to get your thoughts on what you think the, I, I mean, I'm sure the both of us would love to like, you know, read the story as well, see just how wonderful that is. And and to think that that story can be translated into a film that expresses and visualizes the 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 pain and the suffering that um, the firebombing led to and the cost of all of that. And I think that that translation from the translation of all the pain, the suffering, the the relationships, translation of that from a story to a movie, especially an animated one, is just just incredible. Yeah, speaking of translations, the fact that this film is animated itself is quite special because it was initially meant to be a live action film, and the director of the film decided decided otherwise because he realized that any actor that he would bring in uh, when he made the film in 1988 they wouldn't be equipped to to deal with such heavy tones and such heavy themes because they haven't really experienced living in in times of war and neither have we for that matter like we aren't we didn't grow up in times of war we've never experienced anything close to a war but still we say that we can relate so well to these characters because and that's I, i would attribute that to the prowess of the the writing of the characters as well as the prowess of the animators to make them appear so relatable um but i was saying that this one was initially initially meant to be a live action one but they switched to animation because they thought they could better capture emotion through animation but funnily enough um maybe about 7 8 years no sorry <laughs> 17 or 18 years after after the animated film came out there were to tribute live action films to grave of the fireflies um which also served as tributes to world war 1 what i find special about this particular film is that it manages to deal with such heavy themes and yet not lose its audience along the way and by that i'm talking about people like us who haven't really experienced things like that but still we don't get lost and on the other hand on the contrary we we attain a kind of connection with the film which wouldn't be possible with a lot of other works of art it's just fascinating to think that this you know the the 1988 film which by the way to to think that this beautiful animation film animated film was created in 1988 is just is just beyond me that they they pulled this off this film that 
I know that I will revisit every year, hopefully, or every two years, well into my, I don't know, 50s or 60s, if I get that far. Uh, because it's just so incredible to think that they made that in 1988 with hand-drawn animations is beautiful. And what I wanted to, what I, what I started this train of thought was with, was imagining what a live action version of this would be like. It would, it would be interesting if we watch some of the, not, I think there were, there are two or the 2005 version, at least the live action to see just how it translates in, in live action, but I wondered if it would be able to capture um, the gravity of how um, serious and um, how incredibly destructive war could be and, and the suffering that comes within it, uh, with, with it, the suffering that comes with it and the the psychological pain, the trauma, all of that, whether that can be translated into a live action film. So I want to know what you think about that and whether, you know, well, yeah, just what, what you think about that. <laughs> I feel like that's a very heavily loaded question for multiple reasons. On the one hand, I could be talking about, or you could be talking about um, just this film but on the other hand, it could be a discussion about the virtues of animation itself as opposed to live action. Uh, and I want to tackle that question in two different ways. But before that, I just want to point out a couple of things about this film's animation that I thought were very interesting. I was reading this interview between... Uh, Isao Takahata and I forget the interviewer's name, but it was him, uh, the interviewer and Hayao Miyazaki, who is also a director at Studio Ghibli. And they took very interesting artistic decisions for this film. One of them being that rather than using a customary, um, a customary black color to border their objects on screen while, hand, while making the animations, or while making the sketches, I should call them sketches or whatever they're called, <laughs> uh, the storyboarding, whatever it's called, they used brown. And brown instead of black really softens the tone on screen. So it softens the, the tone of such a heavy theme as war. And even though I didn't, I didn't notice it while I was watching the film, it still felt very, you know, jarring and it felt almost bad to see characters suffer the way that they did. But I wonder if I would have had any different reaction if they had gone the traditional route and used black. And I wonder how these subtle details really influence the audience's perception of a film, whether it be Grave of the Fireflies or you know whatever film. Um, but I just thought that it was interesting to, to read about that and point that out because it really tells a lot about the way animation and you know design philosophy operates like it's all, it almost operates on subtle psychological cues that we aren't even consciously aware of and building on that i want to come to your question which is that what how would this film have really looked in live action now i would agree with the directors and say that it wouldn't be as powerful 
but I might be saying that because I've already seen the animated one and I might be a little reluctant to you know watch like a live action version and risk being disappointed but then I also think that that can be said about any animated film and and in that case we might go down this slippery slope of saying that all animation is better than live action and I'm sure we're not doing that but that could eventually be the case because no matter no matter what live action is limited by the humans or by the physics that it operates on um you know real expressions real skin real flesh real you know real nature i suppose however in animation you get to be imaginative and you get to do what you want with the scene and even if it's tweaking say a facial expression by a couple of centimeters to make it a little more relatable to the audience which a real person can't do <laughs> unless they want to look uh, unnatural and therefore lose their audience animation does have the upper hand there and i think that this film despite its great story it would lose some of its some of its charm if it were in live action right and that's not to say that live action doesn't contribute anything it does of course it does but it wouldn't be the same thing yeah it definitely wouldn't be the same thing it um i'm i'm i was just thinking about your point about facial expressions and just how i would react to seeing human faces react and it's a it's strange right to think that i i feel like i would be more connected to an animated version of a retelling of a um a historical event than a a live action version of it with actual humans in it uh that's that's <laughs> i don't know what to think of that to to think that somehow the animation of of this suffering would feels a little more real uh at least a lot more painful than it would in live action and uh i guess that just speaks to the power of animated films and uh i don't think they get enough credit for just how much they can pull off in terms of expressing things that aren't that are that are really hard to express um in 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 real life and i think your what you said about um physics as well and you know um certain movements and um you know the the fast pace running the very classical uh classic animation running um and and a yeah, few other movements it's almost a meme at this point <laughs> yeah it really is uh and and all of that like you said it adds to the charm of the film and it adds to to the to sort of like the joy they find in all that's bad around them that at the animation in the film is able to to reflect this um happiness that they find more than i think real life would be able to just because of how uh just because of how um um what's the word i'm looking for because of the liberties that animation can take which live action films can't exactly exactly 
you know, animation of, often gets a lot of flack for like being, I guess, for children or being just cartoons or things like that. But it's it's not. And there's this thing about animation that I think makes it sometimes a lot more powerful than live action. It's the fact that it appeals to people of all ages. And I'm talking specifically about the so-called adult animation genre. Um, now, you might agree or disagree with the existence of such a dichotomy between adult animation and children's animation, but I think it's a valid distinction to make because films like, I guess, Grave of the Fireflies, uh, Akira came out in 1980, same year actually, Akira came out in the same year, um, then Ghost in the Shell, you know, a lot of other Ghibli films. Um, I mean, Akira and Ghost in the Shell aren't Ghibli, but you know what I mean. A lot of adult, a lot of animation that's made for adults uh, or with an adult audience in mind. A lot of them do appeal to older audiences. And the fact that it appeals to people of all ages just is proof of the fact that it can be just as powerful as live action, if not more, at times. Now, now I think I'm excited to, to discuss the story itself. So if uh, whoever's listening to this, if you haven't seen Grave of the Fireflies, um, if, if so far in our discussion, uh, our praise for it hasn't been enough to convince you, uh, this is just another request to, to hopefully motivate you to watch this before finishing this episode. Um, and for those of you who who still wish to stay on, we'll give a brief summary of uh, the film and then dive into discussing our favorite bits and what we thought of the story. Essentially, what happens in the film is uh, we discover that uh, we, we've got two characters, Seta and Setsuko. They're siblings. Seta is uh, the elder brother and Setsuko is, I think, five five years old. Is that right, Rish? Around five. Yeah, but probably around that much. Yeah, four or five. Around, around that much. Um, and so the entire movie revolves around them. We discover that they lose their mother early on. And uh, almost the entire film is both of them trying to live without their parents and trying to um, find bits and pieces of happiness and joy and all the suffering and trying to survive, essentially. And towards the end... Um, as as we progress, we see how how much how how much harder it becomes for them to continue surviving, um, and those difficulties eventually lead to Satsuko, the little girl, losing her life, um, and the movie ending with um, Seta discovering that the war is finally over, and then having to come to terms with losing his um, sister. So. Most of the the entire movie itself is just, um, you know, following the relationship of Seta and Satsuko um, in this period of towards towards the end of the world towards the end of World War Two when uh, the war is almost coming to an end, but there are still casualties and loss of life. A lot of the things that we would talk about contribute to why exactly this film is uh, as good as it is, right? And one of the first scenes that I think were really powerful and that stood out to me was when uh, Saita and Setsuko go to the hospital where their mother is admitted because of the bombing bombing that occurred at their town or their village. Um, 
and their mother is maimed she's injured almost fatally and she's wrapped up in bandages at the hospital and saita just sees her body but doesn't tell his 4 year old 5 year old i think she's 4 maybe 4 uh, four year old sister about it because he wouldn't want that trauma to be inflicted upon her and just that scene of their mother being of their mother lying there in bandages and saita's reaction to it he's surprisingly composed when he sees her body and it's almost like this idea of war and loss has been so ingrained within him that he feels forced not to not to react in a way that would endanger his sibling right and not just endanger but rather make it seem like the world is hopeless even though he knows that it's hopeless right and i think it was like you mentioned i think it's also just his motivation to stay strong for his sister because he knows that anything that he expresses will be will be picked up by her she'll know immediately if something is wrong and he knows that at this point the both of them have only each other their father is away uh fighting you know in the navy and they don't have anybody to take care of them they've got just each other and so that i think is what keeps seta going just the the strength in in him and i think in in just that in that brief period i think the the scene also of um satsuke satsuko just holding her tears in and then them just rolling down her cheeks and not you know bawling her eyes out as you'd imagine um a toddler to just the the her ability to hold that in and not express that just because she knows that she wants to meet her mother um but she can't and then seta tries to make her feel better but that doesn't help either and just then at that that point of the movie you you start to realize and i think more than anything it's you start to put yourself in that position to see what you would do um and as i mean i have i have an elder brother who i know would do exactly what seta did he wouldn't tell me my mother is um you know fatally injured he'd keep that from me he would try to make me feel better he wouldn't want me to cry he would do everything and to think that a 14 15 year old boy in the middle of war who just lost his mother has to stay strong and do this for his sister just adds to how painful it is to see him do that to hold that up it is it really is but also there are so many more um there's so much more to that one scene right and one of the moments that's really special is when she's crying and he's just there on that pull up bar whatever it is and he's swinging back and forth and he's just trying to comfort her and make her look at him but she isn't and and i even though i can't imagine what it must feel like being in that situation it's the very fact that these characters are focused on entirely throughout the film and they're made so that the audience can relate to them is what makes that particular moment so powerful but with that said though 
I think there's also an element or a larger element to this discussion that we need to take into account, which is the almost the totality of war, the all-encompassing nature of war. And I and I don't just mean like the mere material cost of war as in it. It obviously uh, destroys people's homes and whatnot. But I also mean the the psychological impact of war to such a degree that it's been normalized in life, in culture. And the moment that that really hit me in this film was when Saita and Setsuko go to their paternal aunt's house, um, their aunt who was forced to take them in and care for them because they don't have parents anymore. Um, and while at her house, Saita is reading a war book. He's reading a comic book that deals with soldiers and warfare and whatnot. And I just found that so ironic. I couldn't help but laugh at that scene. Like, there's this world in the middle of World War II, surrounded by fire and death and, you know, being orphaned and God knows what other horrors. And yet, an acceptable pastime, entertainment even, is reading a comic book that's about war. Like, I was just moved by that because it just seems so cognitively dissonant. But then it, but then I realized that it's it's almost like it's just been so normalized as well in culture, and we see so many films about war, like almost as if it's a glorious thing, just the glorification of serving the country. Yes, that's a good thing to sacrifice your life for the nation. Things like that, like being entertained by war while simultaneously being revolted by it. And I think that um, the aunt and everything that she is in the film, I think she embodies this idea of the glorification of serving for your country, right? There's so much more to that. And before I get to that, I was also thinking about the scene early on before I think they go to the hospital where I think you hear somebody off uh, off screen or maybe at the con- in the corner of the screen you heard someone say I'm at least glad my home also got destroyed it would hurt me or it would be uh, a lot worse if everybody else's house got destroyed but not my oh, own yeah I remember that yeah I would feel right? guilty yeah <laughs> correct yeah and and that was that's so real right that that feeling is so real and I'm I'm sure that a lot of us are feeling that regardless of war and i think that 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 guilt and that specific kind of guilt i think stays constant throughout any kind of human suffering right where you feel this guilt of having to be privileged enough to not experience that suffering while everyone around you is feeling that suffering and and of course we're recording this in the middle of a pandemic where um you know touch with the both of us are, are safe and there's obviously that sense of guilt right where everybody else and there are so many people out there dying and suffering and and whatnot and we're not experiencing that so just that 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 little bit and what's so interesting is just this this heavy concept of this kind of guilt was just a small sneaky part of the film right it wasn't even like the main focus it's just some side character talking about it but it makes so much of a difference in immersing you in the in the temperature of war in 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 the 
in the environment of war and destruction and suffering so yeah i just found that that scene itself so incredibly subtle but also so heavy yeah and also the fact that there's that on one end like feeling guilty and what not but then it, it just shows the complete spectrum of human nature right while because on the other hand there's uh, the children the saitan satsuko uh, their aunt who is shown to be selfish <laughs> she's almost hoarding and she's um robbing the children of their uh i mean i guess by saying this i am myself uh, furthering this notion that there is um there is a you know there there should be like private or not private actually there should be localization of resources during times of need uh, that that's a different conversation altogether but i'm saying what i'm trying to say is that she tries and robs the children of what should also be theirs as in food and resources clothing etc so this spectrum of uh the way humans are is also shown pretty well in the film and the fact that it's like you said not the focus of the film just makes it all that more uh, all that all that more loud like it it, it just screams much more loudly when it's not just so in your face when the focus is on Saitan Satsuko's relationship and the way they navigate this uh this devastated world and everything else just crumbling around them is merely sidelined uh it's almost like you have to really look to see what the problem is even though the problem is glaring you in the face so the the bigger problem i suppose is the immediate material destruction of the world but the problems that cause the bigger problems are shown in the peripheries like selfishness and and hypernationalism and things like that so that juxtaposition was really interesting to me you're right like you know about just this this juxtaposition of these these human tendencies just in the midst of war and i think it's it also reflects the intelligence with which and and the 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 care i think with which they've created this film it's it's a part of you wants to the, the movie compels you to empathize with the children right with the suffering that they're going through but it also expresses what um the people going through it the adults also feel to some extent they're fatigued by the war right to them the suffering is just like you said you know a, f- a few minutes ago that the suffering is just a part of life at this point it's just a consequence of war that they have to, a war that they have to win a war that they are currently a part of it's just their reality and even like i, I like how i i liked how uh their aunt's daughter and husband aren't big characters in the film right you just see them rush in rush out have food leave because both of them are you know quote unquote fighting for the country uh and they deserve more resources because well they're the ones who the country needs right now they don't need and i think she says this in one of the scenes as well they don't need these two uh time wasting useless um children whatever and of course there were better words i'm just paraphrasing but you see that she also 
is kind of going through and even though i there's a lot that i find wrong with the things that she did a part of me i don't know also understands right like she's particularly cruel uh at least she seems that way but she's also been hardened by war she's not she doesn't belong to the to a particularly uh you know affluent or resource rich family they're also struggling to have food and now she has to take care of two orphans and of course there's like a you, you immediately notice this stark lack of compassion in her in in her dealing with the two orphans and and her you know ability to just lack all empathy to understand the situation that the children are in but she's also and I, that's why i think i felt so conflicted with her character right because i wanted to place a lot of blame on her place um responsibility in, in some sense on her but i also realized that a part of her conditioning in in terms of living through war was taking care of themselves and just surviving with enough resources to have more mouths to feed also adds to just the stress of living in in war so i think the way they expressed that um was it, it was just so intelligently done i like that you used the word conditioning i really like that because i think that's exactly what it is like they've been conditioned when i say they i mean obviously all the characters in the film they've been conditioned to believe that the war is adjusting to do or there is such a thing as just war and if and even if they don't personally subscribe to that the social conditions around them force them to subscribe to that belief right because they're living in a society and oh my god i just did i just say they're living in a you 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 just uh, <laughs> memed it i like it that was that was like so inadvertent oh my god okay anyway living in a society full of um people that believe in the national cause and uh, japan especially was infamous for maybe infamous or famous infamous for its um hypernationalist pride and uh, especially during world war 2 and the fact that the fact that there aren't uh, saitans at scores aren't also you know is burdened by this um if i can call it the weight of living i don't know i just like that phrase the weight of living uh she's also burdened by this weight of living and to have two amounts to feed in a time where material resources are scarce is obviously a a, a big burden and you're right in that it, it, being conflicted about her character was probably the goal of the makers of her character as well right because if you outright hated her or you know liked her then you would be ignoring the larger structural processes at play which is the fact that there is such a thing as uh, a nation and there is such a thing as hatred and bigotry and you know warfare and what not so to to examine these macro level structures you'd have to keep in mind the more fundamental uh i guess basic structures at play and secondly uh with all of these details in mind i think uh it's the little the little details within the film itself that really make it or break it and with grave of the fireflies it does it does make it because there are certain scenes that are only on screen for a fraction of a second like there's this shot of uh their mother being 
flung, like literally flung into the grave. And it was such a bizarre moment. Like it was almost, it, it caught me off guard. But then it, such such moments are what really trigger that emotional empathy that we feel towards the characters also, I think. And I just wanted to connect that with with the the point on uh, their aunt because the the events of the film combined with the way the film is structured itself allow us to connect with the characters that that scene was it was painfully small wasn't it like it was it was just for a second seta was um saying goodbye or not even saying goodbye looking at his dead mother and and the sad part is they said and and i think that that scene of also when they were transporting her body of and and what we spoke about this um the routineness of war and death or or death and suffering in in, in times of war was reflected in that scene where they were you know taking their mother away seta and satsuko's mother away and said we need to take her away the body will start rotting soon and they just like you know take her away and throw her body cuz it's it's basically a bio biological threat a biohazard of sorts to all the other living people and they just throw her and burn her and and there are so many scenes like that i think earlier early on to you see just burnt bodies uh just for a fraction of a second you see burnt bodies lying around and then you see things like that and before um seta comes and starts living seta and satsuke satsuko starts start living with their aunt you you see everything burnt uh you know burnt to the to the ground to ashes and just in that one scene uh, seta washes his face and just you know is content that sounds so strange to even say that you could but there's there's sort of like i guess refreshed is probably a better word in and in the background there are people literally trying to you know uh, look for bodies or build their homes and just the the almost the unrealness of that that scene to adds to the conflicted feeling that a viewer is supposed to feel while watching that scene yeah the unrealness the surrealness the almost poetry in motion like it's <laughs> i it's so bizarre because i mean you have this one character who's like washing his face amid the amidst a uh, amidst a whole uh landscape of dead decaying burnt corpses it's just so surreal yeah um yes but with that though i think we will wrap up this particular discussion we've you know in this episode we've given a brief introduction to the grave of the fireflies and started out on what interested us uh in the beginning of the film at least and we've spoken a little bit about the animation about characters story writing things like that uh, i think next episode we'll come back and pick up the discussion where we left it off and talk a little bit more about some of some of the other i guess aesthetically philosophically morally interesting themes and events in the film and uh, i hope we have you back for the next one because this has been fun it's it's been it has been fun thank you shrish um and the and you know like you said we've just dipped our toes into the story and um the next episode's going to be a lot more interesting 
uh, when we when we start discussing, like you said, the, the philosophical problems, the moral problems, and all the other themes we found interesting. So yeah, thanks for sticking around, um, and have a good one. Bye bye.